What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. <laughs> we are live. Woohoo. I got to get over onto YouTube and actually see this historic event because it's been so long, right? Facebook, right? We are I got to get over. Okay, I heard myself, so we know something's going on. Okay, ready? I guess we are ready, are we? Let me see. Hello, radical. Whoops, sorry. Something's wrong. Wait, give it a few seconds. Come on. Yeah, I'm not seeing it over on your channel. It's on my channel, but it's the YouTube's fine. It's um, it's uh, my podcasting app that's not working. So we need hmm. a second to get that. Sometimes it just doesn't connect to the internet for some reason. Copy, paste. Uh, we'll be with you guys in just a second. We have not started the show formally. Let's see, go live. Now it's connected. There you go. The Radical. Go. Fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, and individual rights. This is The Yaron Brook Show. All right, everybody, welcome uh, to our book show on this uh, Saturday. Saturday? No, it's Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. I know they all blend together this time, right? And, and, and what's cool today is we've got Amy. Amy's back. So it's Yay. the you on an Amy show. All right. So oh, can you put us in gallery mode? Just, you know, because I'm here. I'm in gallery mode. Nope. Now you are. Yay. Yeah, no, I am. Oh, 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 you switched it before. Okay. I didn't see on the time delay. Oh, yeah. I think I think there's probably a lag, but there we are. Uh, we're in gallery mode. So, um, uh, how you doing, Amy? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a crazy bunch of months, and I just got out of that one whole period of illness, and then now I get to be worried about catching this other thing. That if yep. you know, from what you understand, people do end up maybe on antibiotics again, and antibiotics is what ended up destroying my digestion last year after all of my junk so that's the last you know i've been antibiotics but it, it, it mostly the treatment is not antibiotics so it depends depends on the azithromycin was part of the, the hydroxychloroquine the, cocktail or something right? whatever that i can't pronounce cocktail but that i would i wouldn't necessarily go on that there's a good article today out by matt ridley the guy who wrote the rational optimist um summarizing all the different treatments um, that are coming, that, are, that people are testing. And he says he's very optimistic that within a month or two, there will be a treatment that really reduces the, uh, the real burden of this disease. And he actually recommends just, um, off, just um, no proof, but, but good evidence that zinc works um, and, okay. and just supplement right now with zinc. Uh, so uh, As a preventative, you mean? 
Uh, yeah, because zinc, you know, zinc is shown uh, to reduce the period of a, cold, a common cold, often cold. Sure, cold. sure. So it boosts the immunity, uh, the, your immune system when you get these things. And it's, uh, you want to take it early. You want to take it at first sign. So the best way to do it is just ramp it up. Okay, but from what I understand, never supplement zinc at more than 30 milligrams yeah. a day. And actually, um, I decided that I'm not going to prophylactically in the beginning uh, supplement zinc. And the reason is, is that I haven't talked to you about all of my illness and diet and everything else, but I eat a pile of meat now. And if you eat a bunch of uh, red meat, there's good zinc in there. And good. so, yeah, for me, it wouldn't I make would sense. Stay as Mantis medical advice. We are not expert. We have no really clue what we're talking about when we come to this. I'm just quoting Matt Ridley, who I respect and who studies these things and is a is uh, is has been a scientific kind of writer for a long, long time, and and I recommend the article. It's on his website, The Rational Optimist, and uh, in Spectator magazine, I think in the UK, and it just summarizes the various antiviral treatments that are going to be that are being studied right now. He doesn't necessarily have a favorite, but it is interesting. There's a lot of you know companies that worked on HIV, companies that worked on uh, Ebola, companies that worked on these others, where we don't have vaccines, but we have antiviral medications are working now on, on a COVID-19 kind of um, antiviral. So I am hopeful because as he says, vaccines take forever to get. Yes, uh, yes. 12 to 18 months is super optimistic, much more likely five years for a vaccine. So at least, so what you want is treatment. What you want is successful treatment. Um. Uh, Oh, this is interesting that you, you've got a super chat for me already. You know, um, I, uh, I'm going to try to get super chat on my YouTube channel and I am over three quarters of the way on my YouTube channel with, uh, getting towards monetization, which will allow me to have this super chat right. toy for my very own. So do go over to right, my guys, channel and subscribe and, and watch some videos. I've just, it's, I've got enough subscribers. I just need some more watch hours and I'm well over three quarters of the way there. So help me out. And there's some good videos and, and I mean, I've got some interviews with some interesting people over there. So you will not be wasting your time. I've got Tamir Handelman and David Cohen, who's a non-objectivist, but he's a journalist from New Zealand. That was an interesting discussion. I got John Allison coming up on Wednesday. And I'm really looking forward to that because I figured he would have good perspectives on running a business and managing the risk of coronavirus exposure while you're reopening your business. So, uh, so the question is about Tucker Carlson. Do you want to, do you want to take it? So I get, first of all, does he, does he characterize your observation correctly? He says that uh, Carlson has charisma and brains to be the leader of the religious nationalist conservatives in the United States. What do you, is that a fair characterization? I think I've said that he is charismatic enough and he's smart enough. He supports the kind of the nationalist, what's called the national conservatives. And he's got a following and we've, we've shown, I mean, Trump has shown that having a kind of a following, being a celebrity is an advantage. So yeah, I think he's gonna be a leading voice within the uh, religious nationalist conservative movement. Whether he becomes a presidential candidate or something like that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say it's, it's possible, certainly. Um, it's interesting that they have resisted having me on about privacy issues. Yep. Um, so, you know, and I've had my, my debates with him and everything. 
you know, he, he sometimes gets caught up in a little bit of scandal-y things. And so, of course, that doesn't hurt Trump, though, either. So maybe that'll never hurt him either. I don't know. I mean, certainly he keeps he keeps going. He's going um, to ratings and and he's he's becoming more and more left on economic stuff as time goes on. So um, definitely. Yeah, no, there's there's a number of discussions I would love to have with him. And every so often I pitch something. But yeah. So what do we have on our plate today? So we've got program notes over at don'tletitgo.com, which is my nice old blog. Go and give it some love. Uh, today I've called it Stealth Power Grabs of the Coronavirus Era. Uh, now we're supposed to have it out, your own, right? We're supposed to have it out about Start whether the lockdowns were ever justified or anything like that. Start by having it out. Should, should we do that? I mean, yeah, let's just get it over with. Okay. So, um, so my view has been, right, that we're in this mixed economy, horrible, yucky era. Yeah. And in, you know, you, we could debate about whether even if there wasn't this mixed economy, everything was free, that in certain circumstances, like Ebola was on our shores, then maybe there'd be a limited role for government in an emergency like that. Yes well, or I don't no? think there's any question that there's a role for government in a pandemic. Uh, it's just a question of what is the role, and and I, I think the role, the role should have been to quarantine. Certainly with Ebola, there's a question. There's a role, and the role is to test, to quarantine, even to track. Okay, okay, but what if what if you have something that's Ebola, but people can walk around contagious without symptoms? Well, then then you need to you need to put uh, uh, testing stations everywhere. And you need to you need to have ramp up the infrastructure around testing, which is what. Okay, the but then is. there you you have to ramp up the infrastructure around testing. Is it would it be justified, say, to have everybody hang out for a couple of weeks while they ramp up testing and something and like wait, that? You'd have to have a massive burden of proof to do that. So I my view is we talked about this a little before the show. My view is, in order for the government to restrict our freedoms, the burden of proof is on it to show that it is absolutely necessary. And they must be able to show the evidence. They must be able to show the proof. Yeah. So A, they must be able to tell us that it's Ebola, that what the level of, of, of death is, what it's actually going to do to people. And then they have to have a plan of how they're going to stop it beyond just putting us in, in, a, in, a, in our homes. Sure. And a plan for how we come out of it. That is, they yes. have to have a clear plan. An exit strategy, so to speak. Yeah. It needs to be, in my view, and I've said this before, it needs to be approved by Congress. There needs to be a declaration of emergency powers approved by Congress, not the president. It can be an executive thing that he just decides when there's emergency. And I would even say, if you're talking about extreme things like locking people down, the Supreme Court would have to review it as a, as a non-political entity and say, yes, this is within the bounds of constitution. I'm not talking about this constitution, you know, true free market. This is, this is truly an emergency. We've, we've heard some expert witnesses. There is a plan in place. Yeah. And it, all this would have to happen very quickly, but it's, it's all possible to happen very quickly. So I think, again, the burden of proof for the government to do this is very high. And all the parts of government have to approve. And then... You know, you then again, it, it, it would have to be as limited as necessary. So, for example, you know, Ebola's arrived in New York City. It doesn't make any sense to shut down Wisconsin, right? 
Um, and it, so you'd have to, again, prove why you need to. Well, you could ban travel from New York to Wisconsin, for example. Well, you could travel ban yeah. for a while, again, under mm -hmm. the same conditions. It yes, would yes, have yes. to be very constrained. I, by the way, I don't think any of that was met in this crisis. No, no, no. Okay, so I agree with you, yes, in the normal uh, circumstance where we actually have freedom generally and a proper government and all these things, right? Um, in today's world, we have a healthcare system that is extremely atrophied by decades of government interference. Absolutely. And in addition, we have, um, you know, basically the ability to, to have it become overburdened, right? Um, and, and we have the doctors and the hospitals and the nurses unable by law to refuse to provide service to anyone. It's bad law. Yeah. They, yeah, no, it, it's terrible law, but they cannot defend themselves. Right. So, you know, this is the thing we've got all of these interlocking, bizarre, horrible regulations. And then you do have something that presented itself as I think objectively a real emergency with respect to hospital resources becoming overrun. And that if they were overrun, which arguably they at least came close to in New York, um, but we didn't know, we, we predicted it was gonna be everywhere that way if we didn't do something like it, right? Best as we know, we don't know. This is several weeks ago. We have to think back, not just you know what we know now. Now we know that lockdowns probably aren't justified, but back then we didn't know. And um, if you have the hospitals overrun, you have our doctors and our healthcare workers, all of them subjected to huge viral loads. Many of them have died from the viral load of this virus that have been thrown at them. And of course it's under horrible conditions because they work these 12 hour shifts and they're stressed. And I also talk about the psychological load um, where you know they're in this mixed economy, disgusting atrophied healthcare system. And they have to make choices like, who gets the ventilator? Now, ventilators are the old thing, right? And Trump can brag about ventilators all day long, but it just shows the ineptitude of central planning because ventilators aren't even the treatment of choice. And he's got so many extra ventilators. He's swimming in them. He's still bragging about them, but he's sending them other places because they're not even necessary. But you know, whatever the scarce resource is, they have to dole it out. They're just in horrible circumstances. So, you know, go back, you know, this, I make an analogy to the ground zero mosque situation. In the ground zero mosque, if we were going to ban the ground zero mosque properly, it would be in a, some sort of emergency power ratified by, you know, you're going to override property rights. You need probably a declaration of war, all these things. Nonetheless, I was for banning the ground zero mosque in whatever weird mixed economy way that ended up happening, zoning or uh, stupid, horrible, right? Today, you know, not today, but several weeks ago, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We saw in China, we saw in Italy, the hospitals being overrun in tragic, horrible ways. I was for, in a limited context, maybe a two, three week period of everybody hanging out in their homes. I at least thought it was selfish for us to do that as a personal moral basis. Uh, again, given the total context of this mixed economy and this emergency overlay. But, you know, yes, even a ban for a couple of weeks, if, if our government 
kept up its side of the bargain. And there would have had to be a mea culpa. You would have had to have Trump saying our healthcare system is atrophied by, you know, decades of this and we yeah, haven't caught up to speed. Right? And I was I was courting China for my trade deal. I'm so sorry that I didn't take this seriously and get the testing resources ramped up. And but, so, so, so hang out for two weeks and we'll take care of it. And we're not going to do anything more than just, you know, get you, keep you home enough to figure this out and then so get you, you look, back as soon as possible. If you look at the experts who actually planned for this, who actually have documents written about this, or if you look at a mash who tracked this and who's written about it before and during, nobody thought in no doc, planned document in the CDC in preparation for a pandemic, global pandemic, is lockdowns even a possibility, is an option. So this was, this, was a, this was a from the hip, shooting from the hip, out of nowhere, based on no science, no data, nothing. Okay, now Amish has a number of times warned against the hospitals becoming overrun, though. So, so solve that, right? So there are lots of ways to deal with hospitals. Now, again, I don't disagree that given the ineptitude, given how bad it was in mid-March, because they did nothing all of February and the first half of March, that you had no option but to shut down New York, probably, but not the rest of the country, I don't think. But um, if you take, but it's hard take to all of those, but if you take just the shortages in hospital, if they had just looked at the hospitals in, in late January when, they, when, he, when he shut down travel from, from China, so he knew it was a problem, mm -hmm. and they said, okay, hospitals could be overloaded. Right. And they ramped up production of ventilators and ramped up production of PPE. Tests. And and they ramped up production of tests, which they completely screwed up. And they ramped up and they brought the army in to build field hospitals, which they ultimately did, but, but it was too late, too little, too late. Then I doubt any of the closures. So you can't, you can't say the closures are justified when the government has failed in everything it has done. And of course, even by your standards, there was no mea culpa. There was no, no two-week closure. There was nothing. So... No. If they had done all those things and then come to the conclusion, yes, in order to really protect the rights of doctors and so on over the next two weeks when you shut down New York, fine. But they didn't do any of that. So the less they do and the less information they have, because they had no information. Remember, they don't know how, we still don't know. Well, how okay, again, they had a lot of information about the deaths and they suspected probably China was covering up. In Italy, it was just carnage. Oh no, it wasn't that many deaths in China. If you look back, I wish, I wish we only had China, right? If that was the standard, then they shouldn't have shut down anything. Um, well, but Italy, China, of course, shut down more draconian way than we did here. Yeah, but Italy was a disaster, but nobody knows why it was a disaster. And Italy shut down in massively draconian ways and yet it was still a disaster. It's an ongoing disaster, even right now. And it's, it's, we didn't have real information about why Italy was Italy and, and why um, other countries are not Italy. And yet we acted out of, in, in California, elsewhere, I mean, they acted out of fear and ignorance. And you cannot have government shutting down out of fear of ignorance. They need to have data, information, and a plan. Again, the burden of proof is on them. And I don't think Gavin Newsom had provided the burden of proof. I don't think... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Como did the only place. Okay, I well, I'm I'm shut down is is New York City, and maybe as it rolled away in in New Orleans and Detroit and a few other hotspots. But you first have to identify a hotspot, 
and then shut it down. You can't claim that the whole of California is a hotspot. That is by all standards, just untrue and, and invalid. Nothing about California is like Italy, certainly not the Central Valley or other places or, or, the, or, the, or the Pacific, you know. No, coast. no. And I mean, I, I agree that Newsom didn't uphold his side and still is not. Uh, in fact, at one point he had ordered nursing homes to take in again patients who had been infected with COVID-19 and nursing homes we know now we know now that nursing homes are one of the worst places why because of the air circulated throughout the whole place that's part of the big things is when you've got a central air system circulating among all these people some of whom are infected and some are not it's going to be just a hot zone for spreading so he he has done everything. He's in the program notes for today, by the way, in terms of the stealth power grabs going on here in California. It's at all levels of government right now. And so I agree with you. I mean, the lockdown weeks ago should have been ended at the very least, even if they had done it exactly properly from the beginning. And I think you and I could argue about whether way back when the knowledge would have justified some sort of a very limited measure. Hey, we're going to ramp up some testing for a couple of weeks and see what in the world we're dealing with. And then sure, but go on with lives. Sure, there was no limited anything. They didn't ramp up testing and they no. still haven't ramped up testing. Yeah. So the conclusion has to be everything they did was wrong. And, and, I, and I think that one has to condemn them through and through at every step because they didn't do, they didn't do anything right. They didn't, and they still haven't, and they still not. And they, I, think, I think if they told people, I think you have to start by voluntarily asking people to self-quarantine and to self, do self-lockdowns before you have a statewide or, or you know, what, two-thirds of the nation was, was in lockdown. Well, there were recommendations for social distancing that came out first, as I recall correctly, before there they, was an actual lockdown. They should have pushed that, though. And then they showed people at the beach in Florida. But in New York, I don't know that people ignored those. And it just, it's, it just is not, again, the burden of proof for such an extreme measure of shutting you down your home. I mean, you can, the government can do it. I've given examples of where the government can do it. You know, remember the the Boston Marathon bomber bombing, mm. and, and and they were out and they were looking for the. Now I think they overdid it even in Boston because they, they always overdo. The city, but they could have shut down the neighborhood. We're looking for the terrorists. Don't go out. It's your life, and and you can interfere with police operations. Yes, but you cannot just say they're terrorists in town. We're not sure what they're going to target. They're going to shoot people in the street, but we're not sure what street. And uh, this in some city in the United States, so the whole United States needs to be shut down. No, you have to have specific evidence about a specific threat. Right, right, right. Okay, and, and I, I agree with that in principle, but again, okay, today, suppose everybody just says, okay, I'm going to assert my right to go out and take my life in my own hands and just go do what I want. And then the doctors cannot refuse to treat you no matter how careless and reckless and stupid yeah. you are and yeah. how much you endanger them and everybody else. And again, we do know what we do know about this virus is that you can walk around with no symptoms and have it and be contagious. Absolutely. So it's a horrific virus. But look, there is a price to pay for the mixed economy. People are going to die who shouldn't die. People are going to suffer who shouldn't suffer. Yeah, that. and I would like to preserve healthcare workers. So at the I very, at the very least, your own, your own, your own. All our rights. At the very in, least. In order to prevent. At something. the very least, at the very least, I think you and I could agree that it would be selfish to take certain measures to reduce the risk to doctors and nurses so that those resources at least are available for us if and when we need them for anything, not just COVID. 
I think it would be selfish to, to reduce the risk because we all have uh, people we care about and loved ones who are uh, older and so on. And, and, and you want to reduce the risk, period. The question is whether you do it voluntarily or through coercion. And, and every time you give the state the power to do these things through coercion, you are in a world in which we live, you're creating a very, very dangerous precedent. Yeah. No, I mean, you are. And, and so this has it's to be, it's a, you know, the ability to just shut down and nobody's challenging it because I think, well, a lot of people are challenging it now. What I, what I'm afraid of is that they're challenging it in an irrational yeah, way. Are. They are. They should, they should use the Israeli example where the protests. That all, was beautiful. It's amazing. All stood six feet from one another and, that, uh, and did it responsibly. But um, that, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Okay. So we, I guess disagree about whether there was any lockdown justified at all, even in today's economy. No, I, I, I say I, there there would have, there would have been maybe a very short lockdown, but both of us agree that regardless, the government has not upheld its part of the burden. There doesn't I, need to be lockdowns anymore. As I said, I don't think there was any option but to lock down New York for for, for a while. Yeah, things were so bad there, but they, we have to recognize that they were bad because of government ineptitude two and a half months ago. Well, not only though, because I mean, I think, again, you know, the biggest thing that we've learned recently about this virus, right, is its transmission in those closed Look spaces. North Korea, or South Korea, I keep saying North Korea. Look at South Korea. Look at Taiwan. Look at how these countries handle it. Look at Iceland. Look okay, but are they New York City in terms of public transportation, subways and all that stuff? Maybe not, but but just it, it, it it's order of magnitude was in New York City because... What they did in those places effectively and aggressively and amazingly. I mean, these are very, very high population and high population density places, not as quite as New York. But if you look at Seoul, South Korea, now there are unique characteristics to South Korea and to Taiwan, but what differentiates them is their aggressive testing. And, and if you yes. had put testing all over New York and you had uh, put testing and look, New York, the people who mainly suffered were in Queens, the Bronx and Brooklyn. If you'd just gone into those neighborhoods, aggressively tested, aggressively isolated people who had it. And tracing, not waited, contact tracing. Not waited, but started doing that uh, in, you know, in February, not waited until March. Then you could have prevented the overload to the hospitals. And look, hospitals in the end were not overloaded, even with the pathetic response that we had, but because we shut everything down, but we shut everything down late. So if you had actually done the contract tracing, but primarily the testing and isolating and, and some contract tasting, I don't think we could have done it quite as effectively as Koreans. You would have had a lot of people die, but you wouldn't have overloaded the hospitals, I don't think. And, and healthcare professionals would have still been struggled, but they struggled anyway. And you would have not violated, you, you would have not constrained the ability of people to live their lives. And maybe you still would have had to shut down New York for two weeks. I'm not ruling that out, but then yeah. it would have been finite. It would have been over. Whereas this way, because no. you're flattening the curve, yeah. flat, the whole idea of flattening the curve is the same number of people are going to die. They're mm -hmm. just going to die over a longer period of time. But what's happened now is nobody wants to undo the lockdowns because people are still dying. And, sure. and, 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 and so people are still dying. So the press of doing undoing the lockdowns when people are still dying. But that was the whole point of the lockdowns. It wasn't no, the and then and then I wonder if some of the governments are manipulating the numbers, you know, because of course now if you increase the testing, which a lot of them they're doing in California now, they're finally starting to test people who aren't even uh, symptomatic, et cetera. 
um, the more testing you do, the more cases are going to be revealed. And when people look at those case numbers, they get all freaked out again, right? Um, they're oh, doing the things around. to perpetuate this. Hmm? It's the other way around, though, because as you look at the case numbers, you look at the mortality rate, the mortality rate is plummeting. So the mortality rate is actually going down dramatically because- I'm actually seeing it about steady here locally, but yeah. Not, um, if you, not if you compare it to the number of people who have it based on the serological tests. Okay, well, I'll have to look at some more. I'm just looking at very local stats and it's about the same. Local stats of people who have it versus um, people who died, that's fairly static. Yeah. But then if, you, if you think about who really has it, Right? Not the people who tested positive, but those people who really have it, which is a much bigger number, then you divide. Well, and that's what I want to know. I want to know that in a more reliable way than what we've seen. Ready, and so ready. I'm thinking I'm going to go, I have to go get my two antibody tests myself to find out if I've. We already know it because people, the only people who allow it to be tested in most of the country are people who have already symptoms. That's changing know, here. That's changing yeah, here. No, it's changing, but so far. So we know that the people who are tested are the people who are highly likely to have it. Oh, Those sure. People who are not tested have the low high likelihood. So there's a lot of people who weren't tested. Yeah. Even the 90% don't have symptoms sure. who have this. Huge population of people who have this who have not been tested. Mortality rates are, are, are probably around 0 0.5, 0 0.6, which is what, funnily enough, what Amesh Adolja said they were in February. He said it was 0 0.6. And that's about what you're seeing. So he, was, he, he had a really good prediction. Excellent. Yeah, I would like to talk with him about some stuff too. That would be great. Um, so let's focus on what we agree on for sure. I mean, I think we mostly agree, but we have uh, some some quibbles because certainly government is not upheld at its end of any bargain that I ever would have wanted to make with it, even given this disgusting context we're in. So stealth power grabs, here we go right? Because what are they doing? They are using this as an excuse. And this is true of the leftist liberal politicians. This is true of conservatives, including Trump and everybody. They're pushing their pet agendas and they're using this coronavirus as a cover-up for it. Uh, the one thing that was on my radar personally, of course, that is egregious, I believe, is that we saw an opinion just kind of pushed out there. And I think it's been pretty quiet in terms of news about it. It is the United States versus Facebook case that I was involved with the Center for Legalization of Privacy. This is the case where the FTC goes after Facebook for alleged violations of user privacy. And basically they have a settlement order, an agreement that they have under which the government takes all sorts of control over the corporate governance of Facebook for the next 20 years and also has given to the FTC and the DOJ tremendous amount of access to information, extensive information in the words of Judge Kelly, uh, will be given to the FTC and the DOJ in order to enforce a consent decree that is meant to protect Facebook user privacy. My concern is that they are going to have warrantless access to actual Facebook user data. The FTC and the DOJ are going to have this. And when I read the order last year, I identified a few places in the text of the settlement order that arguably could be used to gain access to the data. And if you think about it, what is it that they say that they're enforcing? They're enforcing certain conditions, certain rules, 
with respect to Facebook's handling of user data. How are they going to check up on Facebook as to whether they are meeting the requirements unless they actually can see Facebook's handling of user data and therefore see Facebook user data, right? So it, 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 there's a risk here. And I filed the amicus brief last October while I was sick in a hospital. I mean, not in a hospital, in a uh, hotel room. Um, I was in a hospital at one point, but I was in the hotel room when I wrote the brief. Uh, sent it off there, and it turned out that the judge did order both Facebook and the government to respond to the arguments, the Fourth Amendment arguments I made. I said, you know, you should not give the government warrantless access to Facebook user data as a remedy for Facebook invading our privacy. It's ridiculous. You know, you don't create Big Brother as a well, you're as a remedy. Penalizing us in the name of penalizing Facebook. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so what I got back from. Um, what I got back from both the government and Facebook, if you compare the two, it was quite revealing because the government, and again, go to legalizedprivacy.org if you want to read all the details. I am going to characterize it and, you know, kind of cartoonize it a bit here. But what the government essentially said was, na 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 na, we can have the data, you know, and we've been able to have it for Whatever. decades. And as you said, you know, the existing law, blah, blah, blah. Now, what I argued in the brief is that the law seems to be turning in favor of protection of user privacy. And if you applied the recent ruling in Carpenter to the issue of Facebook data, that you would get a very different answer than what the government thinks you would get. But anyway, they said, hey, yeah, of course we're entitled to the data. You know, what are you talking about, you poor amateur, right? And then Facebook, in their like one paragraph response, says, oh, no, there is law such that the government can't get warrantless access to the data and here it is and so your concerns are unfounded and so those are two different answers right the government's was yeah we can have it and so your concerns are insane because you know we we get to have it government always wins and facebook says uh no they don't get to have it we think there's some law that protects us and i'm telling facebook no sorry there isn't law that is protecting facebook users and you have failed us, the Facebook user, you have sold out, you have no principles, why aren't you shrugging, Mark Zuckerberg? Um, that That's my view. Anyway, I was hopeful that the judge was going to see at least this discrepancy between them and recognize that there's a Fourth Amendment issue in his order, this opinion, and you can see it again at legalizedprivacy.org at that blog post. Um, you can read the whole order. He makes no mention of concern about Fourth Amendment issues whatsoever. The one sentence in which he even says anything relevant to the Fourth Amendment concerns is which he says that the FTC and the DOJ are going to have access to extensive information from Facebook. But then he goes on to say, as the last part of the sentence, that it's pursuant to enforcing this order and making sure Facebook doesn't behave badly with respect to your privacy. So... Um, they're ignoring it entirely. I'm trying to figure out if there are any next steps and I'm talking to other friends in the public interest litigation space because I'm it in privacy, right? In terms of privacy, most of the organizations are very statist, leftist in nature. Yep. And in this case, it was a leftist, you know, epic that Judge Kelly chose to listen to. He was saying, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe this isn't hard enough on Facebook, but it's not my job as a judge to do that. The people who can be harder on Facebook are Congress. There needs to be legislation and regulation. And that's just sad that none of them are scared about 
the uniting of government and Facebook, which to me is an Orwellian nightmare, they need to be worried about this. They need to be concerned about this. And this is a significant step towards uniting Facebook and government. It's scary. Yeah. And, and it's not just Facebook. It, it'll go beyond Facebook. It'll go eventually. Yeah. Other places. No, I mean, I think, I think that's right. And I think, I think the, the, uh, the consequence of all this uh, is, is going to be greater state power. Um, and uh, you know, the, the internet stocks have gotten a breather here because everybody's talking about coronavirus. But, uh, you know, in, in a Trump second term or in a Biden first term or whatever, uh, breaking up big tech and going after big tech and regulating big tech and controlling big tech is going to be a huge agenda item. Well, and they're going to slip it in. That's that's one of my other stealth well, power grabs that they're talking about. And, 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 and they're going to keep slipping in little things and then they'll do the big stuff. Because the fact is they don't need to slip it in because the American people agree with them. No, and that's true. And so on the left, you basically have people willing to take over any business for any reason. And then on the right, you, you now know, first of all, take over businesses if they're run by leftists. That's yes. the Carlson approach. Right? Yes, that's perfect. By a leftist, it's okay for the government to intervene and run it over. If it's a conservative CEO, then we're fine. Right. So all the high tech companies need to hire conservative CEOs. And, you know, stealth conservative CEOs, and then they'll be, they'll be fine. Or actually not stealth, because otherwise still you're good. It's got to be liberal, conservative all, all the tech companies need to have a very out there public CEO with a MAGA hat on. That's right. And then they'd be safe. That's right. There's no question. That's Essentially. all governing through narcissism. <laughs> yeah. This is so sad. Um, it, okay. So, so absolutely you know, true. I mean, it's absolutely the case. So this, this is, I think, one huge problem that this, you know, uh, order has been approved while everybody's distracted by the coronavirus. If you want to help me try to pursue something else, I, you know, again, with respect to Facebook, it may end up being futile, but there, this is a battle to fight and there are other battles to fight. Go to legalizedprivacy.org. The other one that we need to watch out for, and you've probably heard about this as well, the so-called Earn It Act that they are maybe going to pass during this time as well. And it's going to go quietly yep. and no one's going to pay any attention to it. There are people paying attention to it, but the mainstream media and stuff. And if you talk to Tucker, Tucker doesn't want to hear about this. He wants to talk about coronavirus and he wants to talk about, let's make fun of Joe he, Biden and he whatever. He would support it. Well, I think you would support the Earn It Act as well, right? And and how could you not, right? If you're so, a so-called conservative, because what is this framed in terms of? It is framed in terms of protecting people, uh, especially the victims of child pornography. Yep. Yep. Right. And so, how could you be against clamping down on child pornography? How could you possibly be? Always do that, but it's it's aimed really at undermining encryption and undermining privacy online. And yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's just horrific. That no, they... and, and think about it. Think about it, Yaron. So they've got us all in our houses and all of us right now, most of us anyway, we're, you know, we're conducting communications through our regular channels by Zoom and all that. Now, right now, the third party doctrine is still in effect, which means that as you and I are sharing information with Zoom or any of these other means of communication that are not encrypted, Mm-hmm. government can obtain access to any of this without a warrant at any time. And who knows what in the world they're doing behind the scenes right now. Okay. Yep. The only way for us to have private communications right now 
while we're all stuck in our homes separately and we're not allowed within six feet of each other and the blah, blah, right? Um, End-to-end encryption is it. And they want to remove that toy from- They wanted this for a long time, right? They, they, They were against Apple protecting data on your iPhone. They've been against a lot of these encryption services. I mean, governments all around the world hate these encryption services. Um, and and they're just looking for a way in. They're looking yeah. for a way to, to explain, to, to kind of justify it to the American people. And justifying in terms of child pornography is the master stroke. No, and, and listen, that you know- Against the bill that protects children. Talk about stealth, right? I mean, there's many of us who are wise to their techniques, but- this bill, it never says encryption anywhere in there. The mechanism by which it under, I understand it is probably going to try to ban encryption is the following. You put together some 19 member committee of you know, people who are gonna be authorized to send best practices, information, you know, advisories or whatever they're gonna call them, decrees to the tech companies. Mm-hmm. And the best practices are going to be best practices for eliminating the sharing and the proliferation of child pornography, because if you don't allow it to be shared, you know, there's no market for it. Who's going to make it? Blah, blah, blah. Right. You're going to reduce the amount of child pornography if you can make sure that it's not shared anywhere. Um, so what is the very best way to ensure that there's no child pornography shared is to make sure that you can have access to everything that is shared on the internet at all, whether through end-to-end encryption or otherwise. So this 19 member committee is gonna say, um, you must stop offering end-to-end encryption as a service because people are using end-to-end encryption to send child pornography to each other. How dare they, right? So they'll do that. And then you ask, well, how in the world can they get the companies to do this? Because offering end-to-end encryption is not a crime. Last time we checked, right? You're allowed to offer a service to your users. The way they do it is by saying that if you don't comply with our recommendations, then you are not going to get the favor, the special favor of liability release under section 230. Remember our friend section 230? Section 230 is misinterpreted and abused and and the, the whole way in which that is dealt with. I mean, all of that law should be rewritten because it's so ambiguous and stupid and anti-freedom. So, uh, but yes, they're gonna, they're gonna use that in order to, in order to manipulate companies and, and they're gonna use anything they can. And, and if it's not child pornography, we know they'll use terrorism and they tried for years to use terrorism. And I guess terrorism didn't work that well. So now they're moving to child pornography because that seems to be much more effective. Yes. Trafficking, child pornography is people never vote against stuff like that. No. And so, yeah, they, they get your emotions stirred up. How could you possibly be against a thing? So you guys are not depressed enough because of the lockdowns. Amy has put a whole program together here to get you. Showing you all the things that they're doing while you're distracted yeah. by the lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that we need really to keep their feet to the fire on earn it. And some of our friends in Congress are doing that people like Amash and everything, but this is bad news. Um, The other thing that I want to, you know, bring your attention to with regard to threats to privacy. Again, this is one more that I have on my radar. Trump is focusing his attention on the, 
what what are they what is he calling it covid 4 is the next tranche as they call it right they they go around, you know tranches of of money they're just you know how many tranches are necessary and they had did you watch munchen the other day so he wants to have this infrastructure oh you don't watch these no, i don't watch news he is a pro in terms of just throwing the fallacies out there to yeah, no, deflect um, he's much better than Trump even. Trump, you know, oh my gosh. So they want to have what they call COVID-4, I guess, which is going to be the next big spending bill. And it's supposed to be focused on infrastructure. And one of the things that they talked about the other day. COVID-5. They missed one. We should tell Mnuchin he can't count. Oh, okay. Four bills. There have already been four bills? Okay, so he can't count. Well, they were counting about four the other day. First one was about eight, then it was about 32, then it was 2.2 trillion. Now it's just the one that passed now is 450 billion. And now we're talking about the fifth one. So Okay, so the fifth one is gonna be infrastructure. Okay, so yeah. actually it could be my not counting right. It could be yeah. Yeah. Um, in any event. So they are going to talk about infrastructure and broadband in particular. They want to subsidize broadband. And what do you think is going to be in that bill along with the subsidies for broadband? Oh control that you don't subsidize something without controlling it you don't bail somebody out without taking control of a stuff so they want to control you know they they, they they broadband is the way we get our internet and if they control it super bad i mean yeah everything about this crisis is leading towards more government control of our lives there's no yes. and, and the infrastructure bill i mean it's like you know, it's like we want to be Venezuela or Zimbabwe. I mean, I don't think we'll quite get there, but there's no sense of there's only so much money you can print. There's, there's no consideration about that. And this is all money that's being printed, right, directly by the Federal Reserve um, because the Federal Reserve has to buy all these bonds in order to, nobody else will buy these bonds. So we're talking about trillions of dollars being printed and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care. And so your remedy for not getting totally depressed about this stuff is to not look at the news? No, I, 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 never, I never watch TV news. I don't watch interviews. I don't watch these people on screen because I'll, I'll break the television. Okay, uh, so you read about it, but you won't want to actually. Okay, see what I, I want to do. I'm, I can't watch it. I'm, I'm working at learning how to use the fun tool here on Zoom where you share the video and audio. And so I'm teaching intro logic again. So what I want to do is I want to shred some of these, just like I used to shred Obama speeches okay. and playing a little clip and then shredding it, I think will be quite cathartic, but yep. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how that works out. Maybe I'm just going to get more stressed out than justified. Who it's knows? Easy, uh, Zoom makes it very easy to share screens. Yeah. It's the audio that I was having tricky with trick with the other day. I have to download something or I'll figure it out. Um, in any event, maybe I'll need a tutorial from you, who knows, but uh, I put in the program notes again, go to don'tletitgo.com. I put just a little tweet from Amash just to let you know that, yeah, it is the case that there is no transparency, no accountability on these big bills either. We have Amash there complaining about not being able to even have any debate or deliberation remotely. Uh, they negotiate these bills on their own and it's, then it's Mnuchin and Pelosi. Uh, Mnuchin is a Democrat, really, uh, on economic issues. He's a Keynesian. Uh, he's a Democrat. And Mnuchin and Pelosi basically negotiate these things. Mnuchin then gets Trump to agree to whatever Mnuchin has negotiated. 
and the Republicans vote for it because Trump says it's good. And they, and, and with exception of a handful of Republicans, nobody votes against them. Um, Massey, who was holding up the bill in order to have some discussion about it, was, was, was pilloried by Republicans as this traitor and who didn't care about human life because people are going to die and didn't care about the poor people who are losing their jobs and everything. This is Republicans doing this. So, um, and, and they believe that the more money you throw at stuff, the better. The more government money you throw at stuff, the better. Um, I mean, just think if Obama was president and he was proposing basic mm -hmm. water add up to about three, no, over $3 trillion of government spending to address this crisis. Republicans would be apoplectic. They would be going nuts. I mean, Obama, Obama's bill after 2008 was $800 billion. And, and, and uh, I mean, the Tea Party and Republicans basically declared it the end of the world. And now Republicans are voting for $3 trillion of stimulus. And everybody's going, yeah, that's what's necessary. We don't have any options. And debt, debt is fine. It's easy. We're only paying 0% on the, you know, it's cheap. Why not? Let's go for it. Let's, let's borrow as much money as we can. Well, and how scary is 0%? And that's a whole nother topic for another day, too. Yeah, I mean, that's um, part of it. Yes, zero percent is very scary, particularly if you have to live off of savings as old yes. people. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so then uh, we find out that if Trump doesn't get his way, he always is threatening now to adjourn Congress. Yeah, but he's not an authoritarian, Amy. He, he has no authoritarian tendencies, and he, and he, you know, you know. But Pelosi, she deserves it, right? I mean, it's just, it's Pelosi, so it's okay to adjourn Pelosi. <laughs> That's it. Um, April 15th, ABC News, President Trump threatens to adjourn both chambers of Congress so he can make appointments to fill vacant positions and judicial slots. That is scary. Always worry about when they report stuff like that, if they got the actual quote or not. Well, so here's the quote. He says, if they don't act on getting these people approved, Trump says he will have to do something, quote, that I prefer not doing. Okay, but he, did he actually say he's adjourning Congress? Well, he's, he threatened to do it if they don't appoint. Okay. Well, he's insane. Yeah. He's nuts. I believe. Well, okay. So in the back of my mind, I have that, you know, we're supposed to have this resurgence of the invisible enemy, the plague, whatever it's called this week, right? It, it's supposed to come back in November. That's also when we're supposed to have elections. Yep. Okay. Now you can draw the implications. We'll see if I'm conspiracy theorist or not. I'm not going to go there. I'm, okay. I'm, I don't, I think we'll wait, we'll wait and see institutions. I don't think we're quite that far gone, but. Okay. Okay. Um, then I've got a number of stories here related to California power grabs. I am not a fan of Newsom. Uh, I don't know what you think of Cuomo. A lot of people think Cuomo is somewhat better than Newsom, but your perspective. Left is fascist. So I, I don't, I think they're, they're both terrible. Although I saw a horrible story about Cuomo that should be proliferated. And actually I didn't, I didn't put it in here. I should have put it in here. It wasn't really a power grab so much, but it was disgusting. Um, Cuomo doing the same thing that Newsom has done, uh, or at least was trying to do, which is order these COVID patients yeah. back into nursing homes, which is that. basically a death sentence for their fellow residents. He absolutely did that. So that was, that's part of the problem in New York with, uh, with nursery homes. 
No. And, and this is why you don't, I mean, obviously the death rate could have been a lot lower if that piece of it had been handled. You know, who are the people who are most at risk from this virus? Mostly older people, but why? Because by that time, all sorts of metabolic conditions catch up with well, you. We don't know exactly why, but the empirical evidence is unequivocal. You know, most of the people who die are over the age of 65, if you're over the age of 75 and you get this, you are at a very, very high risk of death. And they're the only ones that should be worried. Somebody actually asked me a question here, Super Chat. Sure. It's, I'm a student and have a high likelihood of getting this internship, but it's in New York City. Would you say it's worth the risk as opposed to having no internship for the summer? And I'd say absolutely go to New York City. If you're young and healthy, the chances of something bad happening to you because of this virus. Don't ride the subway. <laughs> not significant enough to change your decision, change your behavior about your future. And, I would say don't ride the subway. Yeah, don't ride the subway. You know, and, and wear a mask when you're out. Be sensible. Wear a mask. Socially distance. And I assume the company you're working for will socially distance. They'll have... They'll, they'll move their desks away from each other and they'll, they'll keep you. But even if you get it, the likelihood of it being life-threatening to you is less than the likelihood of you getting run over in the streets of New York. Do whatever you can to reduce your viral load and also clean up your metabolism. Uh, Rob Wolf in the Healthy Rebellion radio, as I think he's what he called it, he has a podcast about... Uh, metabolic derangement and, and susceptibility to the virus. It happens to coincide as people get older that issues of bad uh, diet and things catch up with them more. And that's when you've got more pre-existing conditions. But the reason I think that we see some young people also being affected by it is because of metabolic problems, diabetes and such. Yeah. I did, I would never say that, Amy. You don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm just I'm just saying, Rob Wolf, go look. He's got all the papers. He's got the papers. He knows right now why young people are dying from COVID-19. Nobody knows. I mean, he can speculate, and he is a doctor, so he's entitled to speculate, and that's fine. There's a and, there's a, a lot it, of research being cited. Norm Robillard over at Digestive Health Institute. We're well. talking about two and a half. We're talking about two months of data. There's no research being cited. Not a single one of those papers is peer reviewed. Not a single one of those papers could have been published because it's too quick. No research is done that fast. So he can speculate, and that's fine. And, and if, you, if you like Rob Wolf, you can buy into that speculation. And, and maybe it's good speculation in the sense that it's based on, on stuff. But okay, no well, I'll, I'll give you one example. There is a peer-reviewed peer published study okay, that is relevant. Let me give you one example that I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, peer-reviewed published study not having to do specifically with uh, this coronavirus, but with a respiratory illness in general and um, time needed on a ventilator, okay? Two scenarios, one in which, okay, they, they have to be uh, fed through a tube in these. And so that you compare the people who are fed through a tube, the traditional sugar carb filled stuff versus the ones who are fed through the tube with the low sugar, higher fat, and you have much lower time on a ventilator when you don't get the sugar-filled stuff, that so, kind of thing. So just, you know, you've got to have disclaimers on this stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm saying, go look, he's got, he has evidence. Rob Wolf is no dummy. A study like that that I have read, A, really is it replicable? That is, other people do the same study, don't get the same results. Something like 60% of all studies now in journals, peer-reviewed, published, in scientific journals cannot be replicated which in mm -hmm. my is they're out right so a and often with regard to nutrition and food and all this stuff 
There is another paper that if you're not on the right side, you don't cite, which is also peer reviewed, which contradicts you and you don't cite it. And I'm not claiming this is the case here. I'm just saying when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to health, um, we don't, and particularly when it comes to COVID-19, which is new and we just don't know much about it because now they're talking about blood clots. They're talking about so many things that are- that Oh yeah, are, no, there are other things, certainly. A lot of things going on. It's not clearly a respiratory thing. It's, it's a lot of things going on. We don't know. People can, uh, the, you know, again, the best knowledge they have, this is what they think. But to claim certainty or to claim high, con high, to claim high levels of confidence, I don't think, I don't think in the medical profession today, anybody can claim high levels of confidence in saying why young people are susceptible. I know people who are on the right kind of diet, who exercise, who exercise regularly, who are marathon runners or whatever and who got really really sick from this are you talking time. about david latt no I, I, okay I'm okay because david it. latt had completed a couple of new york marathons but i'm not sure what I, his I metabolic case, health was like and cases. he had asthma hmm? yeah the number of these cases where there's no pre-existing condition they're perfectly healthy and they don't have any of this stuff and they die but but we don't it could be genetic it could be a lot of things we just don't know and we won't know for years and uh you know, I think, I, you know, no question, food impacts it. But I, I, I'm skeptical about diets, always have been. It's just inf inflammation in the body in general, which the standard American diet with a lot of processed food seems to no question. Uh, enhance. Reducing and so sugar load and reducing the carbs is a good thing. And it's probably a good thing. But even there. No, and that's why I'm saying it's, you know, it, it, it'll clean up your health anyway. So, yeah, I would, you know, if, if this is a really cool internship, go to New York, but I would say don't ride the subways, use your mask and, you know, make sure you eat a healthy diet and get good sleep. All of the hygiene recommendations that everybody else has, the, that, that the CDC is recommending and don't ride the subways unless you have to. And if you do ride the subway, stay away from other people. It just, I wouldn't go on the subways at all. Just be, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you can, you can manage it with Uber these days. You can manage without subways. I don't know if Uber's working in New York. Probably not. I'm sure Uber would be eager to work if they would let them, and they should because there are safe ways to do that too. I mean, the windows, the, the, sh the shutdown is crazy. With the mask, you're fine. So I, I you know, again, in in uh, in North Korea, people are using public transportation. There are ways to deal with this virus that do not entail completely uplifting, up, upending your life. Um, again, look at mortality rates in places like South Korea. Yes, they have a different diet than us, but it's not that radically different than ours. And yet mortality rates are very, very low in Taiwan, the same thing. In Singapore and Hong Kong, mortality rates are very low. They did good tracing. Because did, they, they did, did good tracing. Isolating the people who had mm -hmm. it. Plus, it turns out that 90% of people who get this don't, 90, sorry, 99% of people, 99 point something percent of people don't die. And 90% of people don't, I think don't get hospitalization. A very high percentage don't require hospitalization. Yeah, but here, here's the thing too, right? Because again, don't even know they have it. Well, because and like and like you say, Yaron, though, there's a lot we still don't know about this virus. Yeah. So the fact that the people don't get immediately sick doesn't mean that it doesn't stay in and do something weird down the road. So, for example, um, and again, you know, I'm not a doctor, but the thing that comes to mind is the chickenpox shingles connection, right? Um, people who had chickenpox as a kid, they have some mild thing and then they're fine. And then supposedly there's a danger of shingles when you get older, which is horrible. So 
you know, the fact that the people aren't sick now doesn't mean that nothing's going to happen to them Look, later with this. It is a weird virus. Most of us are going to get coronavirus. Most of us are going to get this virus. This well, what if there's a vaccine? What if there's a vaccine? If you can hold out till there's a vaccine, then you won't. For five years, probably. You're probably going to get it. Four or five years. 12 to 18 months to a mesh on so a lot of interviews. It's an optimist. Uh, you look at vaccine research and you look at what's going on. It, it, you, vaccines are really, 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 really hard. And okay. uh, I, I would not be surprised if it took four to five years to get a vaccine. Um, don't count on not getting this virus. You know, stay healthy, stay fit, and, uh, and, and try to avoid it as much as you can. Well, then hopefully it'll be the kind of thing like shingles that if you get a vaccine later, then you can avoid getting shingles, even if you had chicken pox as a kid, something like that. Vaccine. I, I don't think I ever got the shingles vaccine. From what I hear, you want to because it's, uh, it's unpleasant it stuff. So, all right, let's go through some of these questions. Yeah. Oh, you got questions. Okay. Because I, I got more horror stories, but you want questions? I know, but we're already at an hour. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about acts of civil disobedience against a lockdown? I mean, I think the ones I've seen I don't like because they don't respect social distancing. They don't respect the fact that this is a threat to people. They are way too nonchalant about it and they don't respect the science. So, I think people claiming that this is a hoax or people claiming this is just a flu or people claiming that this is nothing are doing a disservice to the argument against lockdowns. So I'm for the civil disobedience if you do it right, which means mm -hmm. if you do it while respecting the, sci the science behind it. I agree, even though I was potentially for a limited lockdown if the government upheld its end of the bargain, it has not, so yes. All right, so here's some that are unrelated to uh, Corona. Um, what do you think of Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept? Noam Chomsky and him are close. Uh, he is charismatic, heir apparent to the hate American nihilist left. Yeah, I mean, he's a nihilist, leftist, hate America first. You know, he's an awful human being. He, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's the heir apparent to Noam Chomsky because there will be no heir apparent to Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky is you know, he's this famous academic who did academic research in linguistics and everybody cites and he, he, he is, uh, I don't want to say anything positive about Noam Chomsky, but he is a, he is a, a giant of the left, if you will. I think Grant Grewalt is a nobody and a nothing. Uh, he will be, he will be, he will be a spokesman, but he's not a, he's not a Noam Chomsky. He'll never have the resonance of a Noam Chomsky. And that's good. I mean, I hope Noam Chomsky goes away and that nobody replaces him because all he's done is distort, pervert, and 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 you know, spread lies. I um I met Greenwald once, and it was his book around the whole Snowden thing and everything, and so I spoke with him, a little book signing and everything, and talked about this issue of the third party doctrine, and he just he's no, not no no. I mean, the only good thing that Greenwald has done, as far as I know, is the work he did with Snowden, but that's nowhere near enough to forgive him for the evil. Well, and, and, and then what did he do? I think he actually corrupted Snowden's thinking to a certain extent as well. Yeah. Okay. What do you think of Pam Geller? She fought against Ground Zero Mosque as a symbol of conquest of 9-11. She is a mixed bag in terms of principles. A mixed bag is... Yes. She's mixed it with a lot of bad. A lot of bad. She's 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 a conspiracy theory nut. She but then once in a while she'll do something that's really good, but she does a lot of weird, crazy stuff. So I'm I'm I know I've met her. I mean, uh, um, 
she uses Atlas Shrugged in a lot of. That's her the thing. Like, she calls herself I, Atlas Shrugs or something. Yeah. So and it's, it's. I'm not a fan. Uh, I used to be a little bit more during the night post 9/11 period, but um, because there were so few of us fighting in those days. But she is. Um, yeah, I, I, I. I haven't seen what she's done recently at all. But you know, at the on Twitter with just crazy tweets. Okay. No, I haven't seen anything. So. Um, Nihilistic environmental has gone, you know, environmentalists have gone berserk over Michael Moore's new film, Planet of the Humans. They feel betrayed by him as he exposes the hypocrisy and evasion. He seems to have pricked uh, the Greta bubble. You know, I don't know because I haven't seen the movie. I, I just read about it, something that it's kind of anti-environmentalism, but from the perspective of pristine nature and his, his critique of the environmentalists in a sense is that everything they're proposing is not pristine enough. So I, I just, until I know more about the movie, I really can't comment, but that's what I read. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that Michael Moore has now become anti-environmentalist and, and, and pro-humans. That would be bizarre. So I'd have to see the movie to give an opinion about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anymore? Rescue people I know, far leftists, are more anti-China than Trump. I've been telling them that any capitalist countries have the prosperity to care about animals. All right, good. Yeah, I mean, the left has always been anti-China. I mean, this idea that anti-trade was a leftist agenda. That was Bernie Sanders. Um, Anti-China has been a leftist agenda. That was, again, Bernie Sanders. The, 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 extreme, the, the kind of radical left, the far left has always been anti-trade and anti-China, always. Um, and Trump picked that up. The whole, the, whole, the whole idea of fair trade is a leftist terminology. I mean, mm -hmm. you can go back, you look it up. You can find it. It was, it was invented by the, by the left during NAFTA uh, to complain about the fact that we weren't imposing labor and environmental regulations on our trading partners. Uh, yeah. Fair no, Trump trade was supposed to socialize the world. Trump basically took fair trade and made it into what I called pharaoh trade, which is Trump is the pharaoh. And whereas the pharaoh had all of these laborers, whether paid or slave, I think they were actually more like selected and, and specially paid to do this, you know, build these pyramids. Yeah. And Trump wants certain industries, favored industries to build a trade surplus for him. And just as these pyramids are just basically, you know, sort of monuments to the pharaohs, the trade surplus was not going to be any more meaningful than just a monument to Trump, a tool for him to get reelected. And it's one of the reasons that we're in the trouble that we are in right now, because he was willing to turn a blind eye to Hong Kong, we complained about already, right? That he was turning a bl blind eye to Hong Kong and then to this virus. Yes, and that reminds me. I mean, talk about stealth. Have you seen what the Chinese are doing in Hong Kong? So they, they are arresting they, a bunch of dissidents the there, yeah. They're using the fact that we're all distracted. They're using the fact that the world doesn't care right now because it's distracted. They're using the fact that people in Hong Kong are not going to go out and demonstrate in mass because of the coronavirus to basically go in and arrest the people who led the demonstrations. And talk about stealth. That's probably the worst thing that's happening that, that nobody's reporting about. Nobody cares about. Nobody's talking about. It's just truly disgusting. Yes. And it's truly horrific. And it's so sad because as, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of Hong Kong. 
See, I knew you could think of some of these stealth power grabs because yes, it, they are there and yeah, it's probably worldwide. And there's probably someone who knows a lot about European politics who could list a whole bunch of European stealth power grabs as well. What I've got is I've got our country, I've got California. I should have thought the, of the example of Hong Kong. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, good for you. You know, what do we have here in California? We have a number of California cities going to the governor and saying that they want all of the normal transparency rules that they are under waived in the era of coronavirus. And they're, what's the reason? Hmm? What's the reason? Uh, well, they're so overburdened because they can only do essential services with regard to handling the coronavirus emergency that they shouldn't have to provide, you know, the freedom of information sort of reports about how they're spending money and using all the resources that the taxpayers are giving them. Uh, in the meantime, you have something that's not even so stealth, but this, there's a couple examples where Newsom is just using this as an opportunity to redistribute money and have a bunch of more social welfare programs. So he's got this one, I've got the link in the program notes, and then I'll tell you about a one that's related that's not in the notes in a second, but uh, taxpayers in California are going to pay restaurants to feed seniors in California. So you apply if you're a senior and you can get $66 per day of restaurant food paid for a taxpayer ex expense. And all you have to do is make less than 75,000 if you are an individual or for a family of four, less than 154, five. It could be delivered or picked up, I suppose. It should, I guess it should be delivered, right? So um, I actually I actually have to admit my status credentials. He actually uh, uh, suggested this instead of a $2.2 trillion instead of, right? package. Yes, instead I said, of. You, I, and instead of lockdowns, what you do is you isolate old people and you provide them with food. You, you give them, you give them, you know, the government takes a certain amount of money and it gives them Uber Eats and it, it provides them with the ability, some kind of voucher to, to, so that they never leave their home. So the, the idea is you get the voucher if you guarantee not to leave your home and it's only good for delivered food. Um, but that has to be instead of the lockdowns and instead right, of yeah. the, 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 the stimulus. But no, this is in addition to they're going to keep spending money like there's mm -hmm. no tomorrow and keep loading it up and loading it up and loading it up. And no. And then the other thing he, they've done is, you know, the schools are all closed and there's dubious evidence as to whether the schools should have even been closed um, in the first place. Right. But the schools have been closed all this time. I guess they're going to be closed through the rest of the school year. And he's been using the cafeterias at the schools to provide food, not just for, you know, because they have these normal low income student programs where they give free food to kids while they're at school during the school day. They have been sending home food for days worth of food for entire families and making taxpayers pick up the bill for this behind this. And there was an article about that recently. Well, expansion well. of welfare. I mean, it makes sense. Well, and did you, I, I guess you didn't see the clip, but I actually saw the clip yeah. where somebody asks Newsom, well, isn't this a great opportunity to uh, enact your progressive agenda and he says, yes, essentially. Never let a good crisis go to waste. The famous words of Rami Manuel. I don't know if he invented that term. It's too good and too obvious for him to have invented it. But he's the one who's always cited yes. in that under, under, under Obama after the crisis. And of course, now 
it's it's Republicans doing it as well, and you know nobody cares. Well, and Obama, I mean, not Obama. I'm calling him Obama. Trump. Why well, I just called Trump Obama? Um, the immigration ban, the 60-day immigration ban. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. The arguments that he's been making in the briefings about the supply chain as he calls it. We have to do something about the supply chain. I was right about the supply chain. He says, essentially, he wants to force all the companies to be domesticated. He wants to destroy globalization. He wants to destroy, you know, all the, all the manufacturing OCs. He wants to bring all the manufacturing back. He wants to aggressively lower our standard of living and quality of life. Yes. Right, I have, yes. Um, okay. You want to finish these? And then I've got two more Super Chat questions. And then I think we'll call Okay, so let's see. I mean, there's a couple, you know, don't let COVID-19 kill government oversight. And that is a fairly balanced piece talking about Republicans and Democrats essentially trying to sweep things under the rug, destroy transparency during this era. And I have an LA Times piece at the very end uh, of, of the bad news program notes at the very end of those, it, the LA Times piece is talking about California government keeping a lid on crucial information. And this is one of my complaints about government gen generally right now is yep. that we are being told only what they want us to That's hear. Too much and secret. You know, it's what we talked about with Snowden, right? Mm -hmm. Government should not have stuff secret and unless it's truly national security and it's a short period of time. There should be no FISA courts. There should be no secret courts in America. There should be no information not accessible to individuals to get. And the fact that they're not being, a thousand, the more crisis, the more transparency they should be, not the other way around, because of all the things they're sneaking in there to violate our liberty. Yeah. And instead, what do we get after 9-11? We got the Patriot Act, which is still Found, in so effect. Yep. Still in effect. Yep. And now they are building on the precedent set by that in this coronavirus era in ways that I think, again, they are going to try to ban end to end encryption. And if you ever want to have a big discussion about why we really should be allowed end to end encryption, we can. But in essence, I think government has been spoiled. It needs to go back to the era in which if it wants to investigate somebody, they actually have to present a warrant to that person. Um, you know, the, they have been made lazy. They're lazy. They want to go to the third parties. They want to go to the Facebooks and the Apples and the Googles and just ask them for information. They don't want to have to go to a judge. They don't have to present a warrant to the subject of the power lusting, you know, power lusting creeps. That's what they are. And that's what government represents today is power lust. And why should they have to go to a judge when they can get it directly? It's, it's, um, you know, it, the power lust permeates all of government and it permeates the people because people want them to have the power. That's why they have it. So I, I guess, so, what can we do? What can we do, Your Honor? I mean, we need to actually probably promote a rational form of civil disobedience. Oh, I know one good form that I saw that I was so happy about. I hope you saw this too, no. because it would have just made you happy, I think. Uh, do you remember when de Blasio put that text out there with his little graphic and he said we want you to report your fellow citizens who aren't social distancing properly and he gave a number and you're supposed to send a photo of the people who weren't social distancing properly to such and such number right and you know what he got right no i don't what do you okay get? he got penis photos good he got memes of hitler <laughs> just overwhelmed that's overwhelmed social that's great 
great way to uh, to protest. I love yeah. it. I'm not, I'm not a, a typical, you know, chapter and verse quoting from Ayn Rand, but that quote that she says about defiance, not obedience is the American's answer to overbearing authority. That was exactly what they did. And of course they were doing it from the comfort of their own homes. They were maintaining proper social distance while telling him, no, you know, whatever the emergency is, this is not an American way of dealing with it to have Americans ratting out their fellow Americans. But that's yeah. But but I don't know how many. It, it, it's hard to tell whether it's too late for for uh, disobedience or not. I, I I'm pretty pessimistic about the state of America and where we're heading. I mean, somebody writes here, what is what is left for me? He says libertarian, who wants nothing to do with the two party duopoly and wants to break away from it, is my state and country dying? Dead? It's dying, it's dying, and what you should do is is stop, is one stop obsessing about politics try to improve your life to the best that you can within the context of where we are. And to the extent that you want to dabble in politics, be a critic. You, you, you don't take sides, criticize and educate, educate people about what the alternative is. And we're still, it's still true that, um, that nobody out there, that people out there need to be educated about what this country really represents and what they're losing, what they're giving up, but it is the people giving up. It's not one political party or another. No, exactly. Yeah. Mark, Mark says, it's a quote from Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky said, never let a serious crisis go to waste. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Saul Alinsky got it from somebody else, but it seems too obvious. Um, but uh, Rahm Emanuel is, is usually cited as the source of that. Of course, Rahm Emanuel and Obama studied Saul Alinsky's work. We, I think this plan. No, I, yeah, they got it from Alinsky, I'm pretty sure, yes. Rules for Radicals neurotic, is the book. Here's a, here's a psychological question. Does new, being neurotic mean that you have low self-esteem? When you feel a need to get external validation, does that mean you have low self-esteem? Um, we are not psychologists. So I, 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 don't, I, I can't say that all neurosis is a consequence of low self-esteem, although I'm sure some of it is. Uh, so, but I, I, I'm worried about making every psychological problem about self-esteem. In, in a way, it probably every psychological problem is related, but I, I, I wouldn't want to draw you know, direct causal relationships without- You could still have healthy self-esteem and a yeah. neurosis. I think that's I right. believe, because, you know, but a lot of times the neurosis is something that is because of something that happened in your childhood. And right. if you have been undergoing treatment for it and you have it in a certain perspective and you are doing your ultimate best to live your life, you could have a healthy amount of self-esteem. You know, the it's the kind of um, like if you're seeking validation, if you're seeking like a causeless validation from people all the time, you know, but if, if, if you would like to, for instance, be appreciated by people whom you admire, that's very different from like just seeking validation by having a huge Instagram account and people clicking like all the time or something, you know, there's different ways where you know, there's a validation that's meaningful and valuable, and then there's a validation that isn't. Yeah, that's good. That's a good answer. And then, yeah, it, it really depends on what you mean by validation, why you need it, right? I mean, a, a lot of times you want, you think you have a new idea, you want to talk to a friend because you, 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 you want to know, am I on the right path? No, want... I've had that. I've had that with my theory about the third party doctrine, because I have people in the field who just say, well, that's basically crazy. And so then I go to my lawyer friends whom I respect and I run it by them and say, hey, is it, you know, because you need that check sometimes, especially if you're doing something radical in the world. But it's, yeah. it, if it is that 
you can't be confident of anything you do without somebody else telling you it's okay, then it's a problem. Then, then it's a self-esteem problem. But if you, if you realize that other people can help you improve your ideas, then uh, you can use other people to help validate stuff. That, and that's a, it's a great resource. So, and that's not an issue of self-esteem at all. You, you, you shouldn't think self-esteem is about producing everything yourself, making everything yourself, thinking everything yourself. I mean, um, it's, it's not about that. And, and, and teamwork is a good thing and, and uh, bouncing ideas off of people are good things and uh, trying out things are, are another thing. So there's, there's, there's plenty of ways in which getting external validation is valid and still having a high self-esteem. Definitely. Definitely. Are there more questions? No, I think that's it. And I think I have something good at the end of the program notes. If oh, you do. People... Yeah. So this well, is the interview that I did with Tamir Hendelman and in true. Okay. First of all, Tamir Hendelman is the Michael Jordan of jazz piano. Basically. He's really, really good. I don't know enough about jazz piano to say he's Michael Jordan, but he's really good. I've seen him play live. Amy, Amy introduced him, Amy and, and uh, Leonard introduced me to him years and years ago. And I've seen him play live many times. We've gone to a few concerts together. Definitely. And, I uh, saw him at the Hollywood Bowl in 2001 before 9-11, what I like to call the good old days. Yeah. And he played a tribute to Oscar Peterson, who also played that evening. Um, he played Canadiana Suite by Oscar Peterson. Apparently, there is no recording of that performance available, and I am crushed. It was so amazing, and I had never been a jazz fan. Um, I had been going to Hollywood Bowl regularly for classical and then did this one jazz show, and I was just blown away. And then it turned out on the intermission, I was just running to the ladies' room, and I bumped into him and actually got to talk to him a little and said, hey, you know, where do we find, and he tells me his website. And then I've been, I took Leonard to a show and then been going ever since back there in 2001. Yeah. And he's, so, he's in addition to being a phenomenal piano player, he is just a nice guy. Yeah. He's just a sweet hover guy. So it's, it's, it's fun to talk to him and to chat. Um, I mean, in my case, he's also Israeli, so we can talk a little bit of Hebrew, but, um, but he is a, um, he's a really nice guy and he, to watch his fingers move on a keyboard is something else it's just yeah so check out i've got the interview so you get a free introduction to tamir he actually introduces a couple clips of performances and gives the context for those so you get to you get to hear a sample you get to experience what i call um, his equanimity and warmth that he always has and he still has it during this era he is putting on a series of concerts. That's how musicians are often supporting themselves during this time. He calls it Tamir at home, which he had never done before. So yeah. now you can watch him over Zoom um, playing from his living room. And I've watched three concerts that he's done so far that way. Yeah. And they're truly excellent. It's one hour, you spend it on your Saturday evening from nine to 10 p.m. Eastern time. So it's a, check yeah. him out on Amy's website also. It's Tamir at home, T-A-M-I-R. And it's, his name is Tamir Hendelman, H-E-N-D-E-L-M-A-N. Yeah. Look him up. I mean, he's a great guy. Uh, you know, if you like jazz, you should definitely get to know him, get to know his music and, uh, and support him because these artists who have had their concerts canceled and can't go anywhere and can't do this stuff. I mean, um, it's, it's, this is really, really tough for them. My other big... And there'll be concerts again. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there could be concerts if they're not huge and you could prop, you'd have to make, basically sell half the seats or something, right? You'd have to distance the seats and well, maybe if their open air is different, right? I wouldn't actually probably go to a closed venue. So I might go to an open air. In Georgia is they're, they're keeping half the seats empty or at least half the seats empty. So as to keep some distancing. Yeah, and maybe what they'll do, from what I understand, I, I heard you on the show the other day, Yaron, and you were saying you're eager to get back to flights and hotels. And now hotels, you know, again, you've got a central air system. So I hope that they have really good filtering. From what I understand of airplanes, airplanes actually have really good air filtering systems. So between the filtering systems that they have and the mask, if you wear a mask, you would probably be safe doing that again too. Yeah. So I, I, I have speculated that I've already had COVID and my view is I hope I had COVID. I, I, I'm going to, as soon as I have an opportunity, I'm going to go get tested because I, okay. I don't one way or the other. Um, who knows? Uh, but I'd, I'd like to have had COVID and get it over with because I think most of us are going to get it anyway. Um, but yes, I'm eager. Uh, I told my wife, um, you know, let's just go to, since uh, restaurants are opening in Georgia, Let's go to Atlanta, have a meal, and come come back home. So, um, wow, we we'll see. We'll see. That's a that's a lot of flying for a meal. Yeah, well, I'm desperate these days. But come come to SoCal, and I'll cook one for you. But we'll have to, you know, I, I go around. Um, you know, I walk around for. I do walk outside, and I walk outside without a mask. People, you know, I won't get near you, but I walk outside without a mask. It's open air. Um, but I see my neighbors, and it is the coolest thing. So they'll have little parties at their house but everyone's got their chairs like six feet apart and they're sitting outside and it's, you know, yeah, you're, let's be safe, but let's also still try to have some keep semblance living. of normal life. Yeah. Keep living. Good. Well, go check out Tamir, uh, check out Amy's show on and check out her uh, website. Yeah, just, just watch my interview with Tamir. Then you do two with one and you get a free introduction to this beautiful, beautiful guy. Because okay. Don't forget to like, don't forget to share. And don't forget to support the show on youronbrookshow.com slash support. This was fun. Do we get to do it again on a regular basis now? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when, but but let me, let me I need to check my schedules. Who knows? Beautiful. Schedules have been crazy lately. All right, great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, Amy. Bye. Bye, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.